All right, I'm disheveled because we've got technical issues, so I'm going to shovel myself uh, if I can. Today's water day, obviously, uh, and so we've got some fun things planned for everybody. I'm in a spot I don't want to be, so I'm going to shovel myself over here. It's not that I don't like you guys or anything like that. It's, no, it's not. It's really, it's just, it's the, it's the, the lighting. It's the lighting that helps me. So anyway, I'm going to take a deep breath. And it's water day. And how could anything be bad on water day? That's right. So, uh, but before we get to all of that kind of fun, we're going to present ourselves before God's word because that's what we do here. And what we want to do is to be shaped by his word. We want to present ourselves before it, uh, not to use God's word, not to, to get in there and make it work for us, but so that the Holy Spirit can shape our lives, shape our minds, shape our, our, our interactions with our fellow human beings so that we can be a part of God's advancing kingdom in this world, God's loving reign and rule. And that's what this is all about. So we're going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. And if you'd like to follow along with me this morning, if you'd like to head over to John chapter 10, please. We're starting a new chapter today. Last week, we read all of chapter 9. We read about a man who was born blind, whom Jesus healed, miraculously healed. And then we also read about the fallout from that miracle. And there was fallout because Jesus chose to do this miracle on the Sabbath. So he made a mud pie uh, as a vehicle for that miracle. But making mud pies or kneading anything was forbidden uh, according to the rules of the Talmud, according to the oral law uh, in terms of uh, the activities for the Sabbath. So instead of rejoicing that a man had, had suffered so much and now had his life restored and turned around for him, the, the religious leaders started an investigation to figure out why this happened in a way that didn't conform to their rules or their understanding of the rules. No, you're fine. This is one of those days. (laughs) If you start dancing, I won't be surprised. So (laughs) he's wearing a shirt that says the interrupters. Yeah, that works. (laughs) It's all coming together. So, so we looked at the implications of that reaction, this terrible reaction to such a wonderful miracle last week. And when the chapter concluded, Jesus made some very stark and challenging assessments about the religious leaders of Jerusalem, warning them about the blindness that had overtaken them, the spiritual blindness that they were suffering from. So when chapter 10 begins, it's flowing right from that whole conversation. And Jesus is going to tell the closest thing to a parable that we have in John's gospel, where he'll describe the relationship that he wants or has and wants with his followers in contrast to the harsh demands of the religious system of Israel of that day, and especially those who used religion as a means to control other people. The religious leaders had had just thrown this man who had been healed out of society for all intents and purposes. He was kicked out of the synagogue, which cut him off from the society at that time, from the whole community. And Jesus uses that as a springboard to expose who these leaders really were. I'm sure to comfort this man who had been healed, but also to comfort all of those who suddenly find themselves outside of the established religious system, because basically Jesus is letting us know we're going to end up there as we're following him more often than not. 
So for us here this morning, this becomes a challenge and an encouragement. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because for me to stand up here and say, follow Jesus and not a religious system, I mean, what, what does that even mean? I mean, what is that? Everyone makes a claim that they're, they're the ones who are really re- representing Jesus. Every denomination and every variant of every church adamantly claims that their path is the Jesus certified path, certified fresh by Jesus. You're never going to find someone who's out there claiming, you know, we are a man-made, human-devised religion invented to exploit you. Uh, so join us this Sunday. Nobody's out there saying that. No, everyone says that they have the right Jesus, including us. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. This is a difficult thing to preach on because, you know, there's some stark warnings that Jesus gives to the religious leaders in this, and, and really they're all through the Bible to the religious leaders and the systems of religion that develop. But to teach on those warnings runs the danger of it sounding like, like we have it all together and all of the leaders who are not us are in the wrong somehow. And I mean, so that's the thing. Like, do we just add our voice to the mix and tout e- the Eastgate Jesus as the official Jesus that's out there? No. Who said yes? <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> it's okay. I get it. I get it. But but how about instead of doing that, how about how about let's read how Jesus describes his relationship with his followers, and then we can each examine ourselves and discern whether or not we're setting out to follow Christ, or whether or not we have just linked in to a system that's been in place. Does that make sense? So. Jesus sets up a series of contrasts in our text today. And and I believe that we can use those contrasts to help us differentiate between following Jesus as a a shepherd and submitting to the expectations of a religious system. Those are the contrasts that we're going to be setting up, reading about, and examining our own hearts with. So this isn't about trying to figure out who's wrong or right. This is about each of us determining how it is we follow him. Are we on board? Do we get it? we get where we're going? Okay, so if you're there in John 10, we're going to start with verse 1. Um, I don't have a clicker today, so I'm going to be relying on Joey back there, and she's going to help out, and this is going to be awesome. So just basically flip the slides when the, she's, she's got it. She's got my notes. Okay, then there we go. So starting in verse 1, Jesus is talking potentially still to the Pharisees because that's where the conversation left off in chapter 9. So you know, think about that. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. All right, so there isn't a lot in our, in our modern world that corresponds to this. So we have to do a little research and, and put together what it is that Jesus is describing here for us. Because, I mean, I doubt many people are familiar with shepherding or being sheep herders or anything. I mean, we're in the panhandle of Florida anyway. So, uh, uh, so in ancient Palestine, most families kept sheep. You know, that's just one of those things. You really needed that sort of thing. It, it provided it provided clothing, it provided milk, it provided food uh, at different times. So every family had some level of, uh, of number of sheep 
And usually the younger members of the family would be in charge of tending them. So they'd take them out in the mornings, out to pasture, bring them in in the evening time. But sometimes they would have to take them out farther away to, to different pastures, to new pastures, and they'd be away from, from, from their homes. So at evening, so you didn't have to bring the whole flock all the way back to the village, there'd be a common sheepfold, a, a, a pen, a most likely walled-in enclosure, with a gate, and each kid would lead his sheep back to the pen in the evenings. And the one in charge of guarding the pen would recognize the shepherd. They would allow him and his sheep to go in and allow them to come out in the, in the morning. And, and when the shepherd would leave, he'd give a little call or a whistle or sometimes play a little tune on a flute, and, and all his sheep would follow him out. And all of this, Jesus sets up as a contrast with someone who sneaks into the pen to steal sheep away by force. And there's where we're supposed to be picking up the contrast, the difference between following and being called to being forced and and taken. This is the imagery Jesus is pulling from. And it's something very familiar to the people that he was speaking to, far less so for us. And, And so this is brought up in the context of the religious leaders kicking the healed guy out of the synagogue. Jesus clearly means to depict the religious leaders and really the whole system that had evolved there in Israel as false, as something to be contrasted with the way God wanted to relate to his people. And his point is, plainly, don't be taken captive by a religious system or some religious leader. Jesus is saying, follow me as your path to to God. But as we said at the outset, you know, that's a more challenging proposition than it seems on the surface. How can we know if we're really following Jesus or following a religious system? And this isn't about figuring out which church or denomination has the right Jesus or anything like that. It's a very personal question because, let's face it, a person could just as easily be following religion, a religious system at Eastgate, as easily as they could anywhere else. So I believe Jesus gives us clues here in this metaphor in the contrast between robbers and shepherds. And his point in this is to reveal a distinction because he starts off describing someone who sneaks over the wall, who even though he ends up where all the sheep are, he can't lead them away. He has to steal them. He has to force them to go with him. And so here I think we find our first clue in discerning our status as God's sheep. Jesus invites us to follow him. Whereas religion has to coerce us to conform. So are we following of our own volition of being led by him? Or are we being coerced? A robber has to coerce the sheep to go somewhere. Jesus simply gives his, his word and invites us to follow. And there's something in that that responds in us. Religion is coercive and manipulative. But Jesus leads by this compassionate invitation follow me if you want to live. And it's always towards a hopeful future here in this world or in the one to come. It's always towards this hope, this sense of joy that awaits us out in front of us. That's the idea. We're following for that. So in examining our own selves, we have to consider, why am I here today? For water day, Rob. Well, beyond that, why am I here? Why do I show up here on Sunday mornings on a regular basis? Do, am I here because I have to be? 
because I've been forced into it either by some outside force or influence or by some nagging sense of guilt and obligation that I feel? Is my reason for attaching myself to Christianity because I'm so mortally afraid of hell? If that's my reasoning, there appears to be a robber at work. Those are the symptoms of coercion. In contrast to that, Jesus describes a shepherd who knows his sheep and whose sheep know his voice. That is, we hear this word and we just know there's something to this. Even if our intellect isn't on board, which I face on a regular basis, even if my intellect is pinging off somewhere else, there's something in my heart that is connected to this. And I'll let the theologians discern and figure out, you know, argue that point as to how that happens. Uh, but, but it's like hearing a song off in the distance that's familiar to us somehow. We're not sure and we're just instinctively moving towards the sound of that music. With all the voices that are in this world, with all of the static, something in what he said, in what Jesus said, comes through and connects to us. And this isn't to say we understand what we sense intuitively. We just know there's something there in this message, in this person of Jesus, and we're following after him. So we hear this invitation, follow after me, and we follow. We learn what he's about. We learn what his values and priorities are, and we ask for those to be shaped into our own lives. We aren't forced. We're not threatened. It's not the fear of hell that moves us. It's the thrill of adventure in front of us, the hope of a new life of redemption, of, of, of green pastures and still water. That's what motivates us. If guilt is our constant prod, if a fear of retribution is, is always nagging on us, then we need to stop right here, right now, and acknowledge that something is wrong. A robber has been at work here. This is not the way Jesus leads. And then, in full freedom, let's consider this Jesus. What he said, what he's offered, what he's done. Let's see if there's something that stirs in our hearts to follow after him, to to see where it is that he's leading us to. Let's be sheep who know their loving shepherd's voice when they hear it. They're reading it in the Word, or they read it from someone else, or they hear something said, and right away we recognize it. Oh, I know that voice. I know that tune. Not not live as some stolen flock that is commandeered by religious dominance. Okay, well, the people listening... Are, are I don't know if it's the Pharisees still or the other people that are around. They're slow on the uptake either way. We get to verse 6. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I t- and this is supposed to be an explanation. But either way, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to is to kill, steal, um, to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Okay, so 
they didn't follow him as they were listening to him on, on this first illustration. So he switches up the metaphor and now he calls himself a gate, which for us in the modern world, we're just as clueless. Like, okay. Uh, and this may still have had the shepherd image in view because in the enclosures outside of town, the pen wall would be circled around, but with one gap in it. And at night, the shepherd would lay his own body in the gap and keep the sheep safe from either thieves or predators that would come around. So the person literally, in that sense, became a door, became a gate through which a person would have to pass. And so here he's pointing out the difference between the interests that are at stake. The thief is out to get what he wants for himself at any cost, the life or property of others. The shepherd slash gate is all about preserving and advancing life in others. It's a, it's a stinging contrast between himself and the religious leaders of his day, but it still provides us a clue in, in discerning if we are following religion or if we are following Jesus. And we see the difference is that Jesus cares about bringing wholeness to life. Religion simply consumes our lives. Religion becomes a, an end in itself exhausting people and resources. Religion becomes life-consuming. It grinds a person down. And I know what I'm speaking of here. But Jesus comes to bring life and, and our sense of wholeness in life, that whole, satisfied life, restoring our humanity, our sense of identity. We're no longer scrabbling around trying to put something together to make ourselves feel meaningful. We know who we are. So again, we have to ask ourselves, what are the characteristics of my Christianity? Is my life being consumed by supporting a system, whether that's Eastgate or the evangelical church system as a whole? Am I just here to be a cog in the machine? Do I claim Christianity simply to, to keep the gears running smoothly? Or am I here to uh, support a meeting to, to make sure that the numbers are up and everything looks successful? If so, there's thievery afoot. In contrast to that, following Jesus is more like clinging to someone who rescues us, like you'd cling to a Coast Guard officer who's pulling you off of a sinking ship. It's more like a desire to be nearer to some source of life, not an obligation that wears us down. So as we sit here this morning, we need to examine ourselves. What is my pursuit? What is my pursuit of spiritual things producing in my experience? Am I worn out? Are we, are we ground down by our obligation to keep the system going, to make sure that uh, all, all things appear proper? Or are we, coming, are we becoming more and more alive as we seek to know Christ, as we follow his teachings, as we communicate with him in prayer? All of these things are the attributes of following after him, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. His offer is life. Uh, you know, the NLT words it uh, rich and satisfying life, but the, many of the translations say abundant life. We've used that before. <laughs> uh, abundant life. And, and when we talk about abundant life, you understand we're not talking about just heaven, you know, when we die finally, when we're finally out of here. 
And we're certainly not talking about the cheap materialistic nonsense that televangelists hawk all the time. Abundant life means a sense of wholeness in life right here and right now. That sense of meaning and purpose and value, all of that wrapped up in that sense of identity as being human beings created in the image of God whom he loves. We have a contentment that's not dependent on circumstances being favorable because it stems from knowing who we are, who we belong to, where we're going. Those are the things that the world falls all over itself trying to figure out, trying to answer those questions. We've just got a chance to watch that movie, Jesus Revolution. And back in the 60s, everybody racing around trying to figure themselves out, going after drugs or whatever. I don't even know what kind of a world we're living in right now. But but the same desperation is present. That same desperate desire for for meaning and value. You know, if I could just be an influencer on TikTok, I'd finally be somebody. I'd mean something. All of these various ways in which we're just scraping at the ground, trying to figure out how we can become meaningful or valuable. And this is what Jesus presents to us, has presented to us all along. You are meaningful. You are valuable. You are loved. You are made in the image of the one who made you. You have so much purpose. You have never even dreamed of what it all actually means. That's what it means to belong to a shepherd. That's what it means to follow Jesus and not just tap into a religious system and tow its lines and expectations. It's about living in relationship with the one who made us. Okay, well, finishing up uh, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus still speaking. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So if the wolf attacks them, so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They'll listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again. This is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions of him. Some said, well, he's demon possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? But others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon Open the eyes of the blind? That's where we'll stop today. But once again, Jesus self-identifies. I I hope you caught it in that. Using God's covenant name that he gave to Moses. I am. I am the gate. He said that earlier in the chapter here. He says, I am the good shepherd in this section here. And I'm sure the people listening have their minds right away racing back and reciting Psalm 95 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 79 or Ezekiel 34, where God self-identifies as the shepherd over Israel, as their true shepherd. So 
you know, that's one of those things that if you're standing there listening to him, it's kind of like mind blown at that point. Jesus finishes his discourse providing the definition of a true shepherd as one who isn't just looking out for his own interests or his own profit. In fact, the ultimate test of what he's in it for comes when he's faced with a choice. Run away from the predator like the lion, the tiger, the bear, oh my, or be prepared to die for the sheep that you're determined to protect. And think of all the language that's being employed in all of this, this language of protection, of care, of service. And, you know, when he's talking about this, this, of course, is is foreshadowing what Jesus will do for us later on in John's gospel on the cross. In fact, all of these are hints that are building towards that drama. It all leads up to that fantastic conclusion. So he he points also to the resurrection, that that he'll take his life back up uh, again. And the larger picture starts to come into focus here of death and resurrection and also these sheep from another fold who are going to be coming in, talking about the Gentiles, like like the majority of us here, the, 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 who are now part of this one people who are reconciled under Christ. This was God's plan from the beginning. He said to, to Abraham, through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this is how it happens. We have one one multinational, multi-ethnic, multicultural family of God coming together in Christ. That's who God intended for us to be all along. And this, of course, you know, it just makes people think he's nuts again. But true to his words, some people hear something in what he says and right away start saying, well, I don't know. There's something in this registers with me. It doesn't sound like a, a demon. So for us, as we're considering the distinction between following religion and following Jesus, we find another contrast here, that religion works for self-preservation, but Jesus gives life through self-sacrificial love. I'll tell you, to me, that's one of those things that makes Christianity stand apart among all the religions of the world. Where do you find a deity that goes to this length to be self-sacrificial, in redeeming his people. We are only valuable to religion as long as we maintain and promote the system. If we digress from that, then, you know, if you digress from the system, then you're vilified at best, you're, you're dismissed at, at worst. When I was uh, in the crazy church, and you know, if you're not familiar, I, my formative years as a Christian, I was spent in a in an independent, charismatic church that was very abusive and legalistic in so many ways. It was a system. It was definitely a religious system, and I definitely had bought into it. And and this kind of thing happened a lot, where people, you know, suddenly diverged from what it was that our expectations were. And and I certainly did my own fair share of of rejecting people who no longer promoted the system. I've been on both sides of this. I've been on the side of the one who's making demands for conformity to a system. And then I actually found myself on the other side of that, the recipient of those kinds of things. And, and it just about ruined me in my, in my experience. So how can we tell if we're following religion or following Christ? The question that we need to ask is, do I feel important to God? Do I feel important? Like I'm important to God? Do I believe that He values me and that He intends 
to preserve me. That that's what he has desired all along. That he wants what's best for me because he loves me. I mean, those are questions we want to pose to ourselves. Do I believe that? Do I believe that he loves me? That this whole thing has been about to preserve our lives and bring out what's best and redeem us to be the human beings he intended us to be? Or, conversely, do I feel like God just barely tolerates me? Like, you know, he'll, he'll stick with me only as long as I don't mess up and embarrass him somewhere down the line. Do I feel insignificant or irrelevant if I'm not contributing something great or big or making some sort of noise along the way? If that's the case, then it's really time to think about what Jesus is revealing here. This contrast between following a shepherd and being commandeered by religion. It's important that right here, right now, we allow ourselves to be confronted by his amazing love. To really, really contemplate that and and wonder about how much I'm allowing that love to be the motive for what it is that I do in following him. What it is that I do or say in being identified as a Christian. Right now is the time to quit conforming to the expectations of a religious system and to start following the person of Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. To embrace the reality of that love is his motive, is what he wants for us to embrace the reality of his love for us to recognize and acknowledge his purpose is to redeem how many of us could say today that well yeah a fear of judgment or hell that's never been my motive can anybody actually say that in this room i would say the majority of us have had that needling at us from the background just kind of nipping at our heels at the very least, like a little, like one of the little rat dogs that just comes at you, just getting, getting at you all the time. Well, you don't want to mess up. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to end up on the wrong side of this. That's the voice of a thief. It's the voice of a robber. That little rat dog has nothing to do with who you are in Jesus Christ. Because who you are in Jesus Christ is the beloved of God, whom he determined from the outset. When the whole thing went stupid, he determined, I will rescue this one. I will rescue them. I will bring them home to me. What's that do in your heart? What's that do internally? What, what feels right in that? Oh, Rob, we don't go by feelings. No, we don't. We go by God's word. But God's word will actually also produce something in us. will actually draw something out of us. What feels right? I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell and burn forever. Or I have someone who loves me, who's waiting for me, arms outstretched, running down the road towards me, ready to put a ring on my finger and new robes. There's a party just over the hill. Which one seems right? Which one conforms with what we know about this Jesus? Let's don't allow, let's don't allow the dominance of religion to beat us or drive us. Let's step away from it. 
let's become followers of the person of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. To believe that we're known and that we are loved, that is the heart of following Jesus. All of these other external things will come out of that. But if we don't start there, I am known, I am loved, and the price was paid for the consequence of my sin, then I can start from that premise and begin to live out the reality of a new life. That's the heart of following Jesus. So let's follow the good shepherd. I believe he'll lead us home. Right on? All right, very cool. If you're able to, will you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you so much for your word and what it is that it conveys. Lord, we come across these things and they're hard. These are hard words that you said that we have to navigate through and, 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 and discern how it is that we'll apply these things to our lives. But Father, I pray that you by your spirit will do that, that you'll shape us. And Lord, as we hear this this morning, help us, each one of us, to step away from the treadmill and obligations of empty religion. Because all of us come from somewhere, Lord. We all come with our own set of baggage. And you know mine, Lord. Help us, help me, step off of that treadmill and not allow for motives apart from this love you have for me and my desire to reciprocate that love for you. Lead us as your people into that kind of life. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry. I wasn't ready. <laughs>